Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for bringing us all together to begin this new season of the Adult Bible Study Program. We ask your blessing on our efforts, not only for tonight, but for the next several weeks, as we try to understand how the saints play a major role in Christianity and in our faith and hopefully in our own personal life. So give us the courage to open our minds and hearts and just hear what you want us to hear and to follow through with our role in your plan of salvation. So we thank you for this time. We thank you and praise you in all things. In Jesus' name. Now, the subject matter is the saints as role models for modern society. Uh, many people, when they think about the saints, think about some uh, very nice statue that they might have or uh, admire in church or someplace else, uh, or stained glass windows or in a favorite painting of some kind. But we've got to stop and realize that those were real people at some time or other. And it's interesting to learn when you review the many, many saints that the church has on its official calendar, um, or what we call the canon, which is a listing, all right, not something shot out of a gun. Um, we have a tendency to think of people that, you know, are like mythical figures rather than real people. And yet, they were all real people. And what we're going to be talking about this time is not only these great heroes of the church, but how we, you and I, each one of us, is called to be a saint. Now, all of the people in heaven are saints, whether we recognize them as such or not. But by definition, all of them are saints. You know, whether they, uh, whether you rightly think so-and-so that you know has passed away and whether they deserve to be called a saint or not, uh, that's immaterial, really. The whole idea of saints is sort of a reverse definition of what we would think. The idea of a saint is somebody who is in heaven. All right? But officially, when the church talks about or declares someone to be a saint, the church is saying that that person is recognized as being in heaven. Now, that's got some interesting twists to it, because... That's what the whole concept of purgatory is about. The fact that people who die in the fairly good graces of God, but still have some problems that have not been uh, rectified or, or resolved uh, prior to their death, they cannot go directly to heaven because God is perfect. All right? I want to read you something, and I'm going to give you a little bit of verbal instruction for next week. Write this down, if you would, please. The book of Leviticus. Just say L-E-V. All right. And it'd be the third or uh, second or third book. No, it'll be the third or fourth book in your Bible, depending on which version you have. All right, the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. Now, you've heard this many times, all right, so I'm not going to write it down. Just put that reference down, and this is what it says. The Lord says to Moses, speak to the whole Israelite community. And we have to translate that in modern uh, language of the Bible. So, speak to the whole church, 
All right. And tell them, be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. All right. Now, that is referenced in two other places in the Bible. Your homework assignment for that, plus what is on that page, is to look up what those two other references are. Okay? If you have a good Bible that has cross-references, it shouldn't be too difficult. All right. But there, those words are mentioned. Now, it says, be holy for I am holy. If you take that and change the word for, it gives you a slightly different meaning, but one that is more to the point. Be holy because I am holy. You get the difference in meaning? It's because God is divinely holy, divinely perfect, we as sinful mankind cannot go directly to heaven until that sinfulness, that imperfection is purged. Thus the word purgatory. That's as simple as it gets. Alright? We as sinful mankind cannot get to heaven if we have sin on our souls until it is purged. Okay. Be holy because I am holy. And therefore, the instruction, not only here, but in the other two places, are for all of us to try to be as holy as possible. Because we know not the day or the hour when we're going to be called to face God in the pearly gates. Pure Jim. There are other reasons for this command, not only from Moses, but also from Matthew and Peter. I'm giving you hints. Um, that, that say the same thing. And it is just darn good advice. Okay? Be holy because God is holy. And we want to stay out of purgatory if we can. Uh, the alternative is not that great. Uh, and we would all like to go directly to heaven, I'm sure. Unfortunately, that cannot be if we are still <coughs> burdened by sin. All right. So, our objective in this whole course is to learn how the saints became saints and how they got to heaven and are, well, let's say, <coughs> how they became saints and then how we know that they are saints. Okay? The one thing you've got to understand and accept is that the church does not make a saint. Quite often you'll hear after a very elaborate canonization or beatification uh, ceremony in Rome or other places, but mostly in Rome, um, the newspaper, the media, uh, will say, well, the church just made so-and-so a saint. That's incorrect. The church can only declare who is in heaven. And by virtue of definition, that is what a saint is. Because he or she is then declared as being in heaven. Now the canonization, the word canon, means a list. An official list of who is recognized as being in heaven. Okay. And that is why, as I said in the flyer that you've all probably seen, that's why you can't call your Aunt Minnie Saint Aunt Minnie. Okay? Uh, that is officially. You might think so. You might think she's as good as any other person that you know that is in heaven. 
Um, and there's been some Lulu people that have been declared saints, and we'll get into that too. Uh, but what we want to do is to explain over a period of time uh, and over these next few weeks just why and how dear Aunt Minnie can't be called Saint Aunt Minnie, okay? Uh, because she has to go through a very long and tedious process called canonization, okay? No. <clears throat> One of the differences, again, as I've said, is that um, the saints have reached their destination, not by any celestial GPS system, uh, but because and by the virtue of the Holy Spirit. It is really the Holy Spirit, rather than the church, who helps a person become a saint. And therefore, you and I, should endeavor to become the saint that we recognize um, and honor in in many cases. Part of this lecture uh, series uh, is devoted to, or one of the things that I want to do towards the last couple weeks, is to have you as individuals, during the process, of these ten weeks, fix in your mind at least one or two people that you admire as saints. And over the next ten weeks, I'd like you to look up some information about them and be able to get up uh, at your seat up there. You don't have to come up here if you don't want. And give us just a, a couple minutes as to why you admire this particular person uh, and why you feel that he or she uh, deserves the title of saint. Okay. So that's going to be something that we will develop over uh, the next few weeks. When we first talked about this series on the saints uh, in the end of our last session, we had originally talked about um, the doctors of the saints. Uh, No, the doctors of the church, excuse me. When we talk about the doctors of the church, and there are 33 recognized saints who are given the titles of doctor of the church. Now, doctor in this case does not mean medical doctor. All right? It is an honor given to somebody, particularly those who have given the church uh, extensive writings of some kind. And we'll describe many of these, but not all of them. Uh, We had planned originally to give a series solely on the doctors of the church. But when I started getting into that and researching for it, I found that there was so much other information surrounding the whole concept of the saints that I felt we would be missing a great deal if we just limited our discussion to the doctors of the church. And by the third or fourth session, you'd all be snoring on me, I think. Uh, Because uh, they all led pretty interesting lives, but there are so many others out there uh, that I feel we will just be missing a great deal of information. Let me give you an example. Three doctors of the church, three women, all Carmelite nuns, they are so entirely different from each other that you wonder, you know, how could they all be kind of put into the same category of being called a doctor of the church? And that is because each one of them is recognized for some very unique contributions to the church. And yet, they are so different as individuals. Which brings me to the subject that we can all be saints if we really try and cooperate with the Holy Spirit 
who is always trying to lead us in the direction of the throne of God. And that is where it all begins. Our really recognizing that the only way we can get to heaven without going through purgatory is by giving ourselves over to the Holy Spirit and having him guide us and direct us in every thought, word, and deed for the greater honor and glory of God. All right? The saints did not get to where they are and deserve the honor that they have been given uh, by fulfilling their own will. The whole idea is we must cooperate with the Holy Spirit in fulfilling the role that God has given to each one of us. We are all called to contribute some small amount to God's overall plan of salvation. St. Paul tells us in uh, his letter to the Colossians, he says, I make up in my own body what is lacking in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. When I first read that many years ago, I thought, how is that possible that there could be anything lacking in the sufferings of Jesus Christ? But when you read the whole letter, you'll understand that what he's talking about is that God has left the door open for a little bit for each one of us to play a part in his overall plan of salvation. And it is up to us to spend time in prayer to find out what that little part is. And it may change over a period of time, or it may be the same. I've been teaching for over 30 years, and I consider that my as my role in God's plan of salvation. And I'm proud of it. All right? Um, I might not have always done the greatest job, but I've done the best I could. Let's put it that way. So we are all called to contribute a small amount. All right? And that seems to be a vexing problem for many people. And they're almost afraid to uh, talk about it or to delve into what is their role. All right? I've had a number of people uh, over the years come to me and say, well, you know, they were scared to death when I talked about that because they thought they might have missed something. And I thought, it's never too late to start now. I'd like to go over the agenda for the next few weeks. So if you'll turn to the second page of your handout, because I'd like you to know what you're getting into, all right? And hopefully at the end you'll be getting something out of it. Next week we're going to cover the concept of the cult of saints. When I say cult, be careful. I'm not saying occult. All right. Uh, many people sort of put those both in the same uh, category. They are not. They're almost the opposite. All right. The cult of saints. The whole word, the whole concept of saints has changed drastically over the 2,000 years since the resurrection of Christ. All right. Uh, and what I want to do is to go through that evolution of the concept of the saints next week. Uh, and then uh, Steve Cooley is going to give us uh, a discussion or a presentation on the communion of saints. We are all part of the communion of saints, and yet Catholics, even cradle Catholics, do not really understand the communion of saints, even though on every Sunday Mass when we say the Nicene Creed, we say, I believe in the communion of saints. Yep, everybody says it, but I bet 90% of them don't realize what they're saying. So we want to present what that means. (laughs) Excuse me. In conjunction with the whole concept and the evolution of the term saints. On February the 7th, 
we're going to use uh, the uh, DVD system that's in here, and we're going to present a DVD uh, by Father Robert Barron, who is uh, who has developed a very extensive uh, DVD program and a book called Catholicism, and this particular segment will be on four different saints. It is a very beautiful presentation, and he gives a very descriptive commentary on four different saints, and at least it will give you a different uh, uh, perspective and a different uh, viewpoint of these particular saints. In addition, uh, what we will do is have a discussion on the video afterwards. So it won't be just a video and you all go home. No popcorn is served. Okay. On February the 14th, Valentine's Day, the process by which a person is declared a saint compared to St. Paul's use of the term saint in his writings. As you know, St. Paul has written some very long, extensive, very beautiful, and sometimes very difficult to understand letters. When he is referring to the saints, he is not referring to dead people. He is referring to people very much alive, and we will explain the difference uh, at that particular time. On February the 21st, we're going to do uh, part of the doctors of the church on the 4th century saints from Athanasius... Uh, to Ambrose, all right? Each one of those has uh, given us specific and extensive writings on various doctrines of the church, uh, primarily against the Arian heresy and the other heresies of the time. The early church in the first five or six century were plagued with many, many different kinds of heresies until we finally uh, put an end to them by disproving all of them. Okay, And so you have to understand what some of those heresies are and what we gain from these particular saints. Uh, the next week, February the 28th, I will discuss uh, these three women of the uh, church, the Carmelite nuns that I talked about a little while ago. Uh, it's interesting to see and to learn that each of these three women contributed uh, some extensive writings. And uh, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, a very gutsy lady. I mean, she just confronted popes and bishops and just virtually anyone else to get her away. But she was right. She had many mystical experiences uh uh, Jesus appearing to her and giving her instructions directly. Uh, and she really had a difficult time getting her point across, but she finally did. Uh, you'll find her most fascinating. Where on the other hand, St. Teresa of Lisieux, uh, a more closer modern day saint, did very little. But what little she did was very powerful. Her book, A Diary of a Soul, or The Story of a Soul, uh, became a bestseller uh, because of its beauty and what it really does to the reader. Okay. I won't go any further than that. Okay. March the 7th. Saints who were blessed with the wounds of, the wounds of uh, Jesus Christ, the stigmata. All right. Uh, there have been at least three that we know of, and there's probably more, uh, St. Francis of Assisi being the most prominent one. But the most recent one that we are aware of is Padre Pio, who died here just mm, within the last 20 years. All right. Um, and so when we study the saints, particularly if you are interested in looking into the lives of the saints for somebody that you can imitate. 
look for your more modern saints. Because, as I said before, and will say frequently throughout this course, the whole concept of saints has changed radically over the years. And some of the early people were not near as holy as you might think they were. Uh, or the whole idea implies. All right. And there are some saints uh, that, well, let's put it this way, have been uh, taken off the calendar of the church. Uh, for one, St. Christopher. Okay. Does anybody know why? That's right. There is no official record of there ever being a St. Christopher. It developed as a myth. All right. Remember the word Christopher means Christ bearer. All right. Somebody who has carried Christ on his shoulders. Uh Uh-uh. If you read the poem Footprints, it is Christ that carries us. We don't carry him. All right. There is no record of St. Christopher ever actually being a person. And so that is why he has been taken off. And not in any way, uh, in a derogatory way. It's just that there's no record of this person. And therefore, we cannot include him as among all of the others. All right. And that's one of the criteria now uh, for anybody to be declared a saint. Extensive writings, background uh, that can be substantiated. All right. And we will get into that um, somewhere along the line in this process here. I think on February the 14th, the process of beatification and canonization uh, it is very extensive today. wasn't always. In fact, it wasn't until uh, the 13th century that Rome actually took total responsibility uh, and control or authority uh, for declaring who is a saint. Prior to that, it was kind of... Uh, pardon the expression, loosey-goosey, um, and was not controlled well. The first canonization by a pope wasn't until the 10th century. All prior to that uh, was pretty much by general acclamation. And you know where that can always come from. Okay. Uh, March the 14th, the doctors of the saints of the 5th century Jerome, Augustine, and Leo the Great, all of who have given us uh, extensive writings that have contributed to better understanding our faith and have defined a great deal of our doctrines. All right. Uh, March 21st, the modern day saints, Catherine Drexel, Elizabeth Seton, Father Damien, and Padre Pio. All right. These are all people who have lived within the last uh, 100 or 150 years. Um, and they differ so much that it's interesting to see um, how and why they differ and yet why they became saints. Okay. And then the last meeting will be on the 24th. And it'll be a review and a summary and hopefully we would like to hear from you on who your favorite saint is and why. Now, one of the things that um, is important for us to understand is that these people that we call saints, as I've said before, are real or were real people. Not some figment of the imagination, uh, not something dreamed up by the church or anyone else. They are real people and they came from all walks of life. 
it was, and I have to admit, it was a fault of the church itself to think that only after after the whole period of persecutions and, and the martyrs of the church, early church uh, from, let's say, the 6th century on, it became sort of the concept or the thinking of the church that the average citizen couldn't become a saint. The average citizen couldn't rise to the level of sainthood or holiness. And that prevailed right up until Vatican II, 1960s. Okay. Uh, not something that was put down uh, as, oh, you're just uh, an average citizen, you're never going to be uh, holy or anything of that kind. But it was sort of a feeling, all right? And in Vatican II, this came to light and became a real bone of contention between the uh, older cardinals and the younger ones, all right? And the younger ones felt that that wasn't quite right, that God really calls everyone to be holy and makes them eligible for sainthood provided that they fulfill their particular role in God's plan of salvation. All right. So, out of that came many documents. Out of Vatican II came 16 major documents that, as you know, just turned the church upside down, so to speak. And out of one of those, the dogmatic constitution on the church, chapter 5, is a whole chapter devoted to the universal call to holiness. A copy of it is in your handout there. Now, it isn't very long, but it's rather deep because it is an official document of the church and therefore it is written in language that has to survive for centuries. And so that is why the language is a rather uh, stiff translation of the church document, which was written originally in Latin. All official church documents are written in Latin and then translated into the vernacular of the various countries. All right. This was published originally in 1964 by Pope Paul VI, and it really turned a lot of people's attention to devotions, personal devotions to God through Jesus Christ and to the Blessed Mother. All right. Prior to that, it was not the church who developed many of the devotions, but individuals, little groups here and there. Uh, we have many people, such as St. Margaret Mary, who developed the uh, devotion to the Sacred Heart. St. Uh, Catherine Labore, who developed the devotion to uh, the... Uh, our Lady the Immaculate Conception and the Miraculous Medal. And, but the church never really gave sanction uh, in a official way to many of those docu uh, documents and movements. But now with this change recognized and published by the Pope himself, uh, the church has really blossomed out with developing uh, devotions, personal devotions, and uh, other things such as, <coughs> excuse me, I'm a little congested here. <coughs> such as spiritual direction. How many of you have been involved in personal spiritual direction? That is, direction by an individual 
who was trained for that. Right? I see that. Okay. Uh, well, I would strongly recommend that you at least inquire. The uh, redemptorist priests are over at Christ the King Retreat Center. Uh, a passionist, I'm sorry, you're right. Uh, passionist. Over at Christ the King, uh, that is part of their mission, is spiritual direction. And uh, there's a number of spiritual direction facilities uh, throughout the Bay Area. Nevertheless, what I'd like you to do is to begin reading this universal call to holiness. And I'm not putting a timetable on it, and you're not going to be tested on it, but it is something that I would like each of you to become very familiar with. Because it is important that you understand what holiness is. Holiness is the key to sainthood, the key to heaven. But holiness is different for each one of us. Each one of us is called in a different way by God to fulfill some small role in his plan of salvation. Uh, You're going to get tired of me saying that over and over. But that is what holiness is all about. You cannot get to heaven on your own. No one can. No person has become a saint solely on his own or her own abilities. It is only through cooperating with the Holy Spirit and fulfilling what God is asking of you. When you read this chapter 5 out of this document, you're going to see the words heroic virtue. Alright? Please do not get discouraged by that. Heroic virtue is the only way we can define virtue that is embedded in a person through the efforts and cooperation with the Holy Spirit. That is what holy virtue is. It is not something that we can assume or develop on our own. So do not get discouraged by saying, Oh, I could never reach holy uh, holiness through heroic uh, virtue. Well, no, you can't. None of us can. But with the Holy Spirit, anything and everything is possible. Okay? Christ himself has said so. So please, start to read this, and we will be referring to parts of it throughout this ten session lecture series. Any questions so far? Yes, Joe. Well, blessed... All right, let's, let's back up a little bit, okay? When a person is presented to Rome for canonization, because it is the local bishop who initiates the process, and sometimes in monasteries or so, it would be the abbot. Remember, an abbot is equal to a bishop, and sometimes there's a little bit of contention there. But anyways, the local bishop or the abbot or in the case of uh, a convent, it would be the mother superior, is the one who initiates a cause for uh, beatification. Okay, And so, let's say that you are going, to, you, you passed away now after living a heroic life, you know, and uh, they're going to present your cause uh, to Rome. Alright, so it would go through uh, Bishop Soto first, if he agrees <clears throat> that it goes on to Rome, then that person is called servant of God at that time. Okay, 
So you would be called Joe, servant of God, at that time. All right? Then the next process, is the next step, after uh, much work, and I don't want to kind of take my uh, spiel away from here in, in the next couple of weeks, but nevertheless, but to answer your question, uh, the next process is venerable. Okay? And then after a period of time and more search uh, and prayer and thought, etc., etc., becomes blessed. And that's when a person can legally and officially be called blessed by the church. And then a uh, particular day will be established to honor you, Joe, and uh, uh, from then on, uh, you know, it's sort of hope, you might say. But that is one of the terms, slightly before saint, that um, many of the people that have been processed for canonization have reached and never gone any further. And then there's some who have gone further but still return, retain the word blessed in their name. Uh, such as Venerable Bede is one who had never got beyond Venerable, even though he is a saint. Uh, and there's several who have gotten as far as blessed or beatification, um, and even though they've gone on to canonization, they are still called blessed. It's just a term. Okay. Yes. Frankly, I can't tell you. I can't tell you when and by whom. Um, when uh, the question is when and by whom was the concept and the doctrine of purgatory introduced into the church? You stumped me, which is a rare thing. Uh, I will look that up, and we'll have it next week. Okay, just let's leave it there. Uh, I never like to bluff uh, or give you some words that don't mean anything. So I'd rather say I'll look that up and we'll do it next week. Dick? This last Sunday in church, my ear caught something. I think it's in the Nicene Creed. It said, Blessed Joseph, uh, husband of Mary. So there, St. Joseph, but they're not using the term blessed as a hierarchy? No. Or did they mean it that way? They mean it as, as just a nice just a nice word, okay? Because the Nicene Creed was written long before the whole cult of saints. And so, blessed was something that was used right from the very early days. Okay? Um but the term saints in the official way we have it today didn't come until the 12th century. One other point. We were in Rome several years ago. Several years ago. And we went to St. Peter's when the Pope was Sunday doing his thing up in the window. And I was amazed to see more than one, I'm sure, groups of people lobbying for their favorite candidate for sainthood. Yes, yes. And that's all right. But that's how saints were originally declared by groups lobbying for them. And finally, that got sort of out of hand because, uh, you know, you have, let's say, good saints and not-so-good saints. Um, And so the church finally said no more of that. Uh, but they did that with uh, Pope Paul, uh, John Paul II, uh, at his funeral. They start lobbying for, we want saints now, subito. Sancte uh, subito. Now. And Petra uh, says, no. The minimum time uh, between death and canonization is five years, but it usually takes a lot longer than that. Yeah, much longer. And some 
uh, never get beyond the venerable or the, uh, the beatification. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Either way, and that would be an interesting twist. If this is somebody that you feel should be a saint, you have to explain why. Okay? That would be interesting, though. We'd like to have that. Yeah. Uh, for Well, for example, now, uh, one of the, the reason I, the reason we don't have a book is because there is no book that covers the entire subject that is reasonable enough to have all of you buy a copy, all right? But this book here is pretty darn close. But the retail price is $34, and I just didn't feel that you all wanted to spend that in addition to the $20 registration fee. But if you do, if you care to do that, and you probably could get it on Amazon a little cheaper, but not much. Uh, this is the... the uh, well, Easter's, uh, they charge full price. Um, but Amazon.com, you can get this for about 25 although the retail is 34 The Lives of the Saints, and it's by Richard McBrien. Richard McBrien is, uh, or was the head of the theology department at uh, Notre Dame University. And it covers a great deal of the subject matter that we will be discussing here uh, in this class. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. All right. Now, one of <clears throat> one of the reasons that I think that it's important that you understand and really develop an understanding of this chapter five of the universal call to holiness. It's because it should, in the long run, spur you on to leading a life of holiness developed through the church for the greater honor and glory of God. And I would like to suggest that it will be a very good Lenten penance. Right? To read it or to <laughs> Oh, Dick always has to come up with some, one of these smart questions. He says, uh, to read it or to follow it. Both. It's not easy reading, I have to admit. But it's important. Okay? Um, and so, Lent is starting uh, four weeks from tomorrow. And we should have something in mind to do in a positive way. Uh, most of us uh, grew up with the idea of giving up candy and giving up gum or movies when we were small and later on giving up a beer or television or maybe that extra dessert which was too fattening anyway so we got double credit by giving it up. <laughs> uh, no. The whole idea on penance during Lent is to do something in a positive way for yourself and for someone else who benefits in both ways, all right, for yourself and for someone else. But have a goal. Have a goal, have a plan, and have a positive attitude about it. We used to say, oh, here comes Lent, i got to give this up, i got to do that, no, have a positive attitude. Advent before Christmas. <clears throat> Excuse me, this throat is getting me. Advent during Christmas is a time for, <clears throat> for preparing, you know, the house and the family and the meals and gifts and so forth and so on. But Lent is a time for preparing the soul. And so, well, it's not quite as flamboyant as the Advent season, but it is a time of preparation to better understand the whole idea of Christ's passion, death, 
and resurrection. And hopefully join him on Easter Sunday in celebrating the resurrection uh, in our own mind and heart because we've understood it better and we've contributed something to someone else. Any other questions? No other questions. My goodness, I can't let you go in a half hour sooner. <laughs> well, I can tell you, it's great. <laughs> You might say, uh, without even looking it up, uh, probably 90% unmarried to 10% married. Not a theological reason, a, a culture and a custom, you might say. Because as I said earlier, it was never thought by the average person in the hierarchy of the church that we mere mortal human beings, husbands and wives and little children, could become saints. Uh, could become holy enough to be saints. And so you have very few saints up until recently uh, be canonized and recognized as being in heaven. All right. Now, Pope Paul VI, Pope John the, the uh, Pope John Paul II and the present Pope all believe that that was improper or incorrect and have made uh, inroads to changing that and have uh, canonized a number of housewives uh, not so much uh, husbands that I'm aware of <laughs> Take, Takes uh, takes a little bit more, you might say, uh, for the men. But um, I think, guys, uh, that's a, a good point in a way uh, for you to try to prove them wrong. Okay? Yes, uh, Dorothy. A hierarchy among, is there a hierarchy among the saints as there is in the church? I think no, except for those who we have honored in a special way, uh, because if we all complete our particular role in God's plan of salvation, I think God will love us all in equal way. Okay? That's my only, uh, that's my theory, uh, and I'm going to stick with it, okay? Well, yes, yes, Steve pointed out that the one exception is uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, yes. Uh, and that's understandable. She was uh, and is the queen of all saints, all right? And so, obviously, she would be... Uh, honored as such, and rightfully so, and I think there isn't anybody that would disagree with that, except probably some Protestant that snuck in there somewhere. <laughs> it was more by acclamation, yes. You bet they were. And there were many saints who led some uh, rather, let's say, colorful life before, you know, they got the, the message. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi is one. Uh, St. Uh, well, St. Paul, yes. Um, St. Augustine, yes, uh, is another one. Uh, See, there's what I'm thinking of is uh, Loyola. Saint Ignatius Loyola is another one. Uh, there was a number of saints who, who uh, you know, 
led some rather colorful lives uh, before they finally got the message. So, uh, uh, you know, that means we all have a chance. We all have a chance. All right. I want you to feel comfortable in asking questions. You know, nobody's going to go and tell your mother what you said. Now, Connie, you had a question? I'm sorry? Technically, they shouldn't. Yeah. Technically, they shouldn't. They are not saints in the same way. All right. And if you, uh, if you think about it, no one in the Old Testament is listed as a saint. Even though we know that many of them, obviously, for various reasons, are in heaven. Obviously, because of, uh, let's say, the, the prophets, uh, Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah appeared to Christ in the transfiguration. Uh, if he did that, if they did that, uh, they obviously must be in heaven. Uh, but for various reasons, and the, the theological reasons are a little too long to explain, uh, you do not have any... Uh, people from the Old Testament listed as saints. It's all right. Would you feed that bird? <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. That's all right. I'll bless you and, you know, we'll forget all about it. <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, any other questions? All right. Well, we'll just, yes. Yeah, I have a, oh, my husband and I were in Lackawanna, New York, which is near Buffalo, and we went to a church that was a, a basilica, and um, they had their pastor had died and his coffin was in the church and they were trying to prevent him from beatification of her. And uh, that leads us to ask the question, what makes a basilica? Alright, a basilica is any church that is presided over by a bishop. Okay. That's all. That's all. Yeah. Uh, and a cathedral is the same way. Basilica is just a little bit more. Okay. But, uh, a church where the bishop has been removed for whatever reason. Maybe, you know, they want to put him in a bigger church. Then that church can no longer be called a cathedral or a basilica. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there was another point I wanted to make. Did you have? The term purgatory is first used in 1439. The doctrine is always there. Well, let's let's leave that for next week, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit further. Okay. Any other questions now? Uh, yes. You mentioned Saint Francis of Who was the uh, we think uh, St. Paul himself, but we're not certain because he refers to the wounds of Christ in his side. Uh, so we are not certain if that is the case, he would have been the first. Yeah, but we're not quite sure of that. All right. And there there was a woman, um, but I want to leave that and go until I'm... Hmm? No, 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 no. Uh, hmm? Yes, the German woman. Yeah. Hmm? Yes, yes, but the church has not really recognized that. Yes. Mm-hmm. The church has not recognized Teresa Newman. Uh, although they didn't, they've never denied it, but they just have not recognized her as a, a saint. All right, what I'd like to do, those of you who wish to register and stay in the program, if you will give the name 
uh, your name and uh, your your $20 fee to the ladies in the back. Uh, we will take care of that. And then we'll bring in the forms next week. Let us end with a prayer. All right. And I will assure you won't get out of here as early in subsequent weeks. Okay. You're going to get your money's worth. All right. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for bringing us together. We thank you for allowing us to develop in our own minds what the call to holiness is all about and what the end result is. Our union with you in heaven. Help us then, we pray, to open our minds and our hearts this week and the following week so that we better understand how we as individuals can become holy in your eyes. Not necessarily the eyes of anyone else, but in your eyes. And we do that by following your Holy Spirit and developing our role in your plan of salvation. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things in Jesus' name.